manner of words unsaid. Just lonely feelings like the way in my head. I trap myself further every time I stay quiet. I should start to speak, but I stop and stay silent. And now I've made my own hard day inside this prison. Hi guys, we are the ladies from the Consensus Podcast and we have another amazing session for you today. Now this year marks 100 years since women were given the right to vote. And today, joining me to discuss this will be... Hi, I'm Tayson Azizaya, I'm a Conservative Party member. Hi, I'm Julia and I'm a Lib Dem councillor. I'm Aziz Minot and I'm a Green Party member. And I'm Irela Okoye and I'm a Labour Party member and will also be your host for today. Hi there, I'm Tosin Adedayo, and here are the top political news of the past week. So you might have noticed that it's been a bit quieter on the UK politics front, as the House of Commons, the House of Lords, the Scottish Parliament and the Welsh Assembly have all been on recess. They will all be next sitting, recommence on the 4th of June. Caroline Lucas has announced that she will be stepping down as co-leader of the Green Party in September. Miss Lucas, who is the party's only MP, said that she'd be stepping down to see more of the party's talent showcased. She was elected for a second time as leader in 2016, on a joint ticket with Jonathan Bartley. Under the Green Party rules, leaders are elected to serve a two-year term. Nominations for the party's leadership opened on Friday. Aziz, I'm hoping that you've put your name down and you'll be standing. Chika Umuna has come under fire after seemingly advertising for an unpaid in- student intern. The Stratton MP insisted that he was not seeking for an unpaid intern, but someone in a sandwich degree course who is supported by student finance. Mr Umuna has been branded a hypocrite as in 2014 in his role as shadow business secretary, he tweeted that we have to reduce the incidence of low paid work in Britain. And as recently as last month, he also criticised the Conservative government, saying Tories have paid lip service to investing in our young people, but they have made cuts at every stage of a child's development from infant to adult. Following this, an email from Jeremy Corbyn's office was sent to all Labour MPs, reminding them of the party's commitment to ban unpaid internships. I guess this is a case of putting your money where your mouth is, Chukka. Following the results of the Republic of Ireland's referendum to liberalise abortion laws, Theresa May has has been urged to allow a free vote in Parliament to extend the same laws to Northern Ireland. As many as 20 Conservative MPs, led by Equalities Minister Penny Mordaunt, are prepared to vote against the Prime Minister in the forthcoming domestic abuse bill as a means of ensuring a change in law in Northern Ireland. However, the government are insisting that this is a matter for the Northern Ireland Assembly. Once Parliament returns from recess, Northern Ireland Secretary Karen Bradley will face an urgent question in Parliament, and this will be followed by a debate led by Silla Quisi on Tuesday. The leader of the Democratic Union Party, Arlene Foster, has warned the Prime Minister against intervening on the matter, 
saying that the referendum has no impact upon the law in Northern Ireland. She added that the referendum was held in the Republic of Ireland because of the constitutional prohibition on abortion that existed there. However, there is no such constitutional bar in Northern Ireland. Leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Ruth Davidson, has been named among Vogue's 25 most influential women. According to the publication, the list is comprised of an extraordinary cast of leaders defining and redefining the way we live now. Ms Davidson was described as a beacon thanks to her relatable personality and progressive ideas among a sea of old guard Tories. Also on the list were the Duchess of Sussex, Grace Ladiger, the grime artist Skeptor's manager, and Baroness Hale, President of the UK Supreme Court. Notably off the list were Scottish Parliament leader Nicola Sturgeon and the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Theresa May. Well, Vogue's reasoning for leaving May off the list is that her authority remains too precarious. I'm not too sure about this, but it's a free country. I guess we'll have to stop here for today. Now I said it was a quiet week, but actually it hasn't been so quiet. We've had the story about Raheem Sterling. We've had the Rindwash inquiry continue. We've had issues around the custom union and Tory rebels. We've also had discussions around the steel tariff imposed by President Trump on the UK and the rest of the European Union. I guess we're going to have to stop here for today. Let's get back to today's episode. Bye. Now, guys, as we're all black women, I think it's important for me to ask you all about your own personal experiences and how your journey has been so far in politics and, you know, in terms of your standing and how you've been received and just finding yourself. Do you see any sort of differences in how you've been treated? Do you feel there is a difference? If not, and if you do, why? Aziz? Okay. So... um, my yeah, so my journey into politics is really interesting. First of all, I didn't actually want to get into politics; I wanted to be an actress, and um, I wanted to study something quite academic at uni. So I studied international relations and politics simply because my friend said it would be a good idea, and I got to go abroad for a year. So that's why I did it. Um, but shortly after my university experience, I really wanted to get into politics. I just wanted to give it a try. I wanted to be someone who got into the job that I actually studied for as a, as a degree. So I applied for a role with working with the Green Party and that took me a while. So I really wanted to be neutral because I didn't want to take my political sort of experience or make it difficult for me to get into work later on down the line. Yeah. But when I looked at the job application, I thought, Green Party, can't really go wrong. Okay, cool. So I applied for the job and I didn't get it. And I asked the lady who was doing the applications, why didn't I get the role? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I was so taken aback by the fact that you even asked why you didn't get the role that she agreed to have a meeting with me. So mm-hmm. we're sitting down, having a meeting and discussing. It wasn't for the fact that my application was bad. It's just that she wanted someone who lived in the area who wasn't a student and would go back to London yeah. to actually work on a campaign because this was for the local elections in 2015. And so I totally understood that. And she just 
gave me like a good part of an hour and a half and just sat down and spoke to me about the different types of options I could try to look out for in mm. terms of job opportunities and I really really valued that and her time um, and then she said why don't you come down and volunteer with us so I decided to go down and volunteer and fast forward um, cut a long story short I ended up getting the job that I originally applied for right and then and which was the campaign coordinator for the Warwick and Leamington Green Party so that's up in the West Midlands and essentially whilst I was there I really wanted to be non-partisan so I just wanted to work and learn about what happens on the ground but not actually take up any political stance myself right but literally three months in I learned about Green Party policies and I was hooked I was like this is the reason why I didn't want to align myself to any other political party before mm. it's just because I didn't believe in them mm. um and during that time so I then became a member and it was only three months in but yeah. maybe around the fourth or fifth month I was a member and work, was working with the party another older white lady said to me you know I really think you could be our general election candidate you could stand you could do it and at this time I was 20 years old um obviously I'd just come out of university yeah. I'm from London East London up in West Midlands which is a very leafy wealthy area um and I was like me <laughs> and she's joined your party like surely you have somebody else she was like yeah we have lots of other people that can stand but we really believe that you would be really good at it right um and I was t I was too taken about that I said you know what, let me think about it. it was over Christmas time I was like let me think about it and I remember sitting down and writing a list of all the reasons for and all the reasons against me actually taking up the role yeah. and all the ones I listed on the against reason were because I was a black I was, wait, one, one of them was because I was black yeah. and it was a predominantly white area. The second one was because I was a woman or a girl, as I described myself. Um, and then another one was because I was from East London. And another one was because I was like not experienced. I hadn't seen the world enough. Yeah. Um, which I thought would be the argument that a lot of people would make against me standing. And once I looked at all of that, I realised that those were labels that I had given myself mm. that didn't require to be barriers to in front of me pursuing a goal. Right. So yes, there could be characteristics that make me, me, mm. but it didn't need to be that I don't have to get a job or I can't stand to be an elected official because of these reasons. So essentially, it was because of fear, I realised, was the reason why I didn't want to stand. And so I was like, okay, cool, so I'm going to stand. Um, and throughout my time as being um, a general election candidate, I got a lot of support from a lot of white middle-class older mainly women and also men and even down to the point that where I work now in the GLA I was um someone believed in me and just said why don't you just apply for the role like I think you could be a researcher after this you know job experience is over why don't you apply to work in politics full-time yeah um and I did have doubts there but another white lady said you know what you could do just apply and let's just see what happens and three years later I'm actually there so yeah, that's been my experience of getting into politics. Um, and I can't really speak too much on what it's been like in comparison to white counterparts because, or, or, or people who are white in the party standing against me because right. that's, I've not seen that. Or people amongst my age, that hasn't been the case. And I really believe that the reason why I stood or the reason why people have seen greatness in me is just because of me, not necessarily because I'm a black woman, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. That's my story. Awesome. Toss in. Um, yes, yeah, so I got into politics um, sort of at university. I've always been interested in politics since I was however years old. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided after 
taking my A-levels, I decided that I was more aligned to Conservative Party right. and classical liberalism. Um, and when I got to university, I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to get involved in politics. Mm. So I joined the party. Um, I got involved at university. I also got involved um, at home, um, which is Bexley. And um, I sent them an email um, and asked to go out leafleting. And so I even got picked up by one of the party members. Um, and he used to pick me up and drop me off mm. at home all the time. Because um, obviously... I can drive. I still can drive now, but that's not the point. The point is, <laughs> and the point is, um, then I was nineteen, and after I think about a month or so of doing that, um, he suggested he was chairman of the association, the Conservative Association, um, and he said, "Oh, why don't you um, stand to be a, uh, to to be a candidate for the council local council elections um, in twenty fourteen?" And I said, oh, "What? No." I'm 19. No one is ever going to vote for me. And it's like, no, just, you know, just do it. And it was an amazing experience. It was fantastic because I didn't feel that I was a token. I didn't mm, feel that um, yeah. they were out seeking for a young black person, <laughs> um, young black woman wanted for the Conservative Party. That didn't <laughs> happen. Um, it was because I was very passionate. I talked about what I believed, yeah. and and I'm and I'm also very honest about the party. If I think that there are things that the party could do better, I'm not shy to say it. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that was a fantastic experience, and I got a lot of media coverage around that, which really helped me and propelled me in terms of uh, my wider political. I don't have a political. Um, Status, but yeah. let's just say I do. Um, but yeah, it just, it just, it just, <laughs> it just helped wow. me. Um, and yeah, so I didn't win, but it was still a fantastic experience. Um, and yes, so in terms of, I never, no one in the party ever made me feel that I was there because I'm black mm -hmm. or as a token or just to make the party look good. I don't think that there was ever anybody who tried to sort of talk about my blackness right. or my race as mm -hmm. um, something that made me stand out. Mm. Um, usually I would probably bring it into conversation, but actually nobody ever says it. I only experience it from other people, usually other black people in other parties, namely the Labour Party. Um, <laughs> they like to, because obviously they think that they have monopoly on all black people and the way that they should vote. So they do get very sort of... I say offended. Man. I don't even know why. Like, it's not your business. But they do get sure. offended. I remember at university, I was chair of my association at university, and we had Freshers' Fair, and um, some of the Labour people came up to me and said, oh, how can you, wait, are you a Tory? How can you, how can you be a Tory? But you're black, African. And I, I, I said then, and I always, always say, um, I never realised I was black until this moment that you walked up to me and told me that I was black. So thank you very much. Um, I find it so condescending that they mm. do that. Um, but I suppose um, I do know that maybe there aren't that many black conservative women. Yeah. And that is obviously true. And that's valid. Or maybe they aren't as prominent. Because I do know quite a number of them in the party. They're not as prominent. So sometimes I do, especially by the media, if I get approached or get a media... Um, like inquiry for me to get involved, speak somewhere or do something, it's usually because I bring in a different perspective because I'm young and black. Mm. Um, actually, sometimes it's my youth and other times it's my race. Um, but I don't think that I feel that the party is treating me any differently because I'm black. 
I don't think it's treating me positively or negatively differently because I'm black. I just yeah. think that they treat me as I am, as toasting. Awesome. Um, and which is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jules? Um, mine is just, mine has been a little bit, um, what's the word? All over the place, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, my career started off as wanted to be a solicitor. Um, long story short, that really didn't work out. Um, and then my interest in politics, when I was able to vote at 18, yeah. for some reason I wanted to do it properly, um, rather than just vote for Labour, mm. as my parents have done. Mm. Um, I researched and I found that the Lib Dems were the party for me, particularly um, the fact that a core principle for them is equality and social justice. Right and giving everyone an opportunity, no matter where you're from, um, to make something of your life so you're not dependent on the state and the state mm. isn't intervening in how, you're, how you should lead your life. Um, so I'd been voting since I was 18, joined the party in 2013, then I wanted to get more involved mm-hmm. and then I got involved by going to sort of a local party um, which shall remain nameless. Right, I'm so, um, I'm so no. here for this seat. Like, <laughs> with a local right. party, I've done you day. I stay classy. Um, and I didn't feel welcome. And my journey in the party hasn't been smooth. Mm. Like, um, there has been instances where I have felt like I was the token mm. or I was elevated to certain positions because the party has got issues with diversity so when they mm. see that you're a woman and you're black okay. they really do you know they almost jump on that okay fine but i want to do something with this mm. and then i felt that i've met barriers but anyway all of that happening i moved to harangay after the election the 2015 election that we did so badly in and walked past a stand um and i spoke to the vice chair at the time right um and just like said to her, I want, I want to do more. Mm. Um, it was painful how much we lost. Um, and just seeing that look on Nick Clegg's face and that speech after mm. that election, I'm not going to lie, I cried a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I cried too, to be honest. It was so sad. Come on, we did... We did things, we did good things as well. Um, And it just wasn't fair. But rather than me sit here and complain about how unfair it is, let me get more involved. And literally the rest is history. And then in that space, from like 2015 to where we are now, we've had quite a lot of elections. You know, we've had the GLA, we've had the EU referendum, Mm -hmm. and then we've had the SNAP general election in 2017. So in that time, I really learnt how things worked. Mm. I became secretary of the local party, then later vice chair. I was agent for the GLA. I did quite a lot in the referendum campaign. And then it just seemed natural that in the era that I lived in, in my Mm -hmm. patch, that I became, I stood to be a candidate there um, because someone did suggest it. I didn't even think about it, to be fair. And I was like, why don't you become a candidate? I was like, me? Why? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but then I went for it. And I found that in Harringay, it was probably the only party where I didn't feel like I was a token. Mm. Um, I didn't feel that I was only there because I was black. Right. Um, it wasn't trying to tick a box. Um, and actually, you can see it in that 
seven out of the 15 councillors we now have are women, mm. you know, and two from ethnic minority backgrounds for the Lib Dems, that's saying a lot, which is still a shame anyway. Mm, yeah. That's a whole different story, but that ha- that's happened very naturally, right. not from through ticking boxes. But anyway, throughout the whole campaign, the one thing that is, like, as you guys have sort of said, is the people that did help me, right. the people that gave their time, the people that were there mm-hmm. from 4.30am in the morning right through to 10 o'clock, the people that wow. were delivering leaflets, giving up their houses, driving up and down the road to put stakeboards up, replace it after it got damaged <laughs> or got sawed off. Yeah, that's my story in a nutshell, really. Wow. Um, it's been a long journey. Hasn't been easy. But I think it's quite beautiful to kind of listen to all of your journeys into politics. We want to hear yours. Especially. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, So with me, mine started um, initially um, whilst I was in a lecture. Um, So I didn't actually know that there was a classmate that um, I was getting quite, like, close to. Mm -hmm. um, And he was, like, actually really involved in politics, Mm -hmm. but I never knew. And um, he had a report that he was writing and he just said to me that, you know, like, Morella, like, you know, you're so, like, informed, like, the conversations that we had always tended to be about public affairs or what's going on in Parliament, what the Prime Minister said and, like, interests and just mainly political background and what we, what we would speak about was mainly in terms of politics. And he just said, you know what, I've got a report that I'm writing it's going to get passed to the Houses of Parliament, would you like to be a part of it? Mm. And I was just like... Yeah, like, okay, why not kind of thing. And before then, like, you also had as well, um, law. Yeah, But then classic, (laughs) right? But then um, I think with that, the only reason it was easy for me to kind of stay away from law is because I realised that I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. I liked it, but I didn't love it enough for it to consume my life the way it tends to do for other people in law. Um, so yeah, going back to that, so yeah, um, I ended up doing some research for the, um, the article and then that was that. Mm. And then I kind of left it, but then my eyes tend to, began to kind of stare towards politics, like, oh, okay, maybe there is something like in this for me in terms of maybe my voice can be used to impact some sort of change. Then I ended up going to do um, a year for a law firm. And then I met the amazing Jen Davis in the <laughs> law firm. And, um, again, it's the natural interest that I have. We sparked up conversation. And then also with her as well and her involvement in politics, she was like, why don't you just, like, join, like, a party? You know, like, why don't you just get involved a lot more? And then... Could you do meet me first? (laughs) You know, I probably... Yeah, yeah, joined the party. um, Ended up being um, a Young London Labour and Working Group member for BAME. Mm. And then that was a very interesting experience. Um, I can't say it was as pleasurable as it sounds when I say it, but it was definitely an eye-opener and it kind of made me realise the importance of having different voices from different backgrounds in certain places. So I think that was when I finally solidified my decision in terms of my involvement in politics. Um, And then, yeah, since then I have been quite involved in some campaigns, Um, I have actually had a personal experience um, with that which shall not be named, and um, it Wait, was it was definitely um, it, it's it's an organisation okay. that right, basically right, right. Um, claims its main mantra is diversity and the involvement of young people in the importance of voting. Got you. But um, you know when it get when it got to the nitty gritty mm. of it, um, 
There's a lot of backseating, a lot of passive aggression, a lot of we know we know the game. Yeah. So yeah, but that's been my journey to politics thus far, and I'm excited about for for what it's going to take me. And yeah. just going back, I do think it's very beautiful that all of us here as black women do even have a story to tell about being involved in politics, mm-hmm. especially because there was a time where as women we couldn't even vote. Mm. You know, I think that it, 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 the contrast in the conversation now is different yeah. and it, it's encouraging. But I did really want to ask as well in terms of like politics, like how, how much do you feel politics has successfully integrated women as a whole into politics? Like, do you feel that it's been done successfully? Do you feel like there needs to be more that needs to be done? I mean, we have a female prime minister. Yeah. So... I mean, I think politics has come a long way right. from 1918 to... We've had two female prime ministers. We've mm-hmm. had um, acting um, opposition leader in the Labour Party who have been women as well. Um, I think... And we have a number of of um, senior politicians who are women. So we had, a, before the Windrush stuff, we had a Home Secretary who was a woman. The previous one was a woman as well, Theresa right. May. Mm. Um, we've, you know, we've had really, really senior women who have been at the helm of affairs and who have been leading this country, not just recently, but I'd say, you know, even 20 years. Um, yeah, I th- so I think that we've done, mm. we've done really well. I don't think, obviously, we're there yet. Mm. But then I don't know what the yet would be. I mean... What more could we do? Fifty-fifty. If, mm. if we're talking about just politics, like the chambers itself, fifty-fifty on both sides, House of Commons and House of Lords. Right. Let the this other side be an elected or a different type of uh, chamber. But that 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 I digress on. I mean, I get your point in terms of we do we've had two female prime ministers and there've been senior women in um, in office. Mm. But is can I just add as well? Mm. All the leaders of the four nations of the United Kingdom yes, all are women. all women. Mm. Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland, yes, um, Leanne Wood, Leanne Wood mm. Wales, mm. and Northern Ireland, yeah, Arlene, Arlene Foster. Foster. Yeah. So I mean, and even and even the opposition mm. in in the Scottish Parliament is a woman. It's a woman. We've got Ruth Davidson as well. Yeah. So. From where it's encouraging, from. right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's very encouraging. It's encouraging, yes. I don't think that a woman... Sorry, as you don't know. No, no, sorry, but yes. I don't think that a woman now can sit and think, well, I can never go into politics because there's no one like... Right. I think that we've crossed that bridge where yes. there are yeah. women that we see every day who are just like us. Well, maybe yeah. race is no, another issue which we can talk about. <laughs> but when we talk about being a woman, we do have those female role models, mm. and which is very, very encouraging to see. Because I can imagine what what they've had to go through to get to that position. Indeed. So yeah. right. it's fantastic to see. Awesome. Can now. put ourselves on the back. Now, <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, just before we go any further, um, if you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, you can reach us at the underscore consensus underscore, and also reach us at our hashtag consensus podcast. Also, so Aziz, we cut you off. Yeah, Sorry. no, that's really <laughs> what I was gonna say. No, but it's fine. No, it's fine. Do you know why? Because you make a really good point mm-hmm. in that. I don't think I've ever sat down and really realised that all of the senior leaders across the yeah the four nations are women. And also I remember Sadiq Khan was saying something about um, his leadership being 
predominantly women or 50-50 and like the leader of the Metropolitan Police and the Fire Commissioner is a woman as well. Um, so yeah, it's you're right, it is encouraging. I guess my only reservation to some extent would be to what extent do did that influence our decisions to get into politics? I or or to, to what extent does just having someone who... I wouldn't want to say they're a figurehead, they're not. They are leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much does that translate to the younger generations or people who feel that society and politics is a bit a step away from them? Mm. Does having a, a woman in parliament or these women particularly in parliament really encourage them to be a part of the process? You know what I mean? And yeah. That's what we, we, I guess we have to question, to what extent are we there yet? Um, And I don't think just because you have a woman in politics, that means you need to inspire just women and make policy just for women. But, you know, not everyone votes. Mm. Like, a lot of people are still not registered, and Mm. they could be, and they could be voting. They still feel like there's a disconnect. So, yeah, we've come a long way, but are we really gathering, like, everyone, as much, as many people as we can along this journey with us right i think i think that this is something that people are going to be talking about in the next 20 years mm. because politics is just not that topic that you're going to get everybody round up to. because it, it only the people and this is the issue that we've had before um only the people who are directly affected will want to i mean everyone is directly affected but i feel like if only people who feel like they have a vested interest will get right. involved in politics yeah. or if you have a passion for it i just don't think that we're going to see a society where everybody is like yes politics let's go out to vote i just don't think that it's ever, i don't think it's ever going to be that exciting um maybe maybe i'm pessim- yeah but that was like a big great event and then afterwards, it sort of went down, wasn't it? We, mm. we had the war, and there was something that people felt that they had yeah. a cause. And then after that, it just fizzes out. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that everyone's going to be ha- as excited. But what I do think is that we can make politics more accessible so the ones who are excited can easily go into politics. Right. So rather than, um, so rather than um, sort of limiting it to middle-class men who actually understand how it works, mm. who understand how parties work, who understand who to speak to and how to get on the ballot. Actually, we, we make it as accessible as possible mm-hmm. so that anyone from any background, if you're interested, it's not a problem. You right, can get into yeah. it. But I think the idea that we're going to get everybody excited about politics, I don't think it's going to happen. So I think I agree and disagree at the same time. Mm. I agree with you in that we can't get everyone, you know, but I disagree in that there is something that we can do. And I guess that is potentially an extension of making politics more accessible, representation matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need to actively and continue to actively put in place measures mm. to make sure that there are more people that look like the, re- the society that we're seeking to serve. Right. Currently, um, if, for example, if there more, there'd be more of us, mm-hmm. like all the four of us sat here right now, right. if people that look like us see us on a platform, mm. that is accessibility in yeah. itself. Yeah. But mm. there aren't measures currently that allows you to really do that. And that goes back to, there's, there's still a lot that we need to do in terms of cultural change. Right. We're getting better in terms of, um, you know, women representation but then there's the whole issue i'm going to say this word that people potentially don't like of inter- intersectionality as well mm. um it goes back to the whole f- issue of feminism 
it's not for everyone. Not right. everyone feels. So it gets to the point where we need to feel comfortable enough, even though you have all that access. Yeah. If you still don't feel comfortable in that room, you're going to leave it. Yeah. yeah. So how do we have this cultural shift mm. um, so that people like us yeah. feel comfortable and feel like they have just as much right to be in that room? I think that's such a key question and it fits comfortably and perfectly with what I wanted to ask you as well in terms of like how we bring about that shift and we all have the parties that we're from. So what do you feel are the things that your party's actually done to prevent the overshadowing of the voices of all women? So like, are you happy with what's being done? If not, why? Do you feel more needs to be done? Do you have any suggestions as to what should be done? Aziz? Yeah, sorry. Um, before I talk about my party, I think right. it's important for me to, or for us to mention the Women's Equality Party. Mm. And they were, they were born basically of the idea that we need equal opportunities yeah. in politics. We need more women on board. We need to help women basically fly in terms of entrepreneurship. And we also want them to do well in in all facets of life Mm. um and so this party was born out of the idea that yes we have had a hundred years to like since the vote right but it's not enough Mm. and there's more that we can do and with a collective voice and a collective purpose and mission we can seek to achieve that now one of the things they say on their website is that women make up 29 percent of mps and 24 percent of peers Mm. and really women should make up at least 66 percent of new MPs and 75% of new peers for the next two elections in order for there to even be close to parity Mm. so you know if we're talking about where society has come from or where we're going or how much we there is to grow there clearly is more that we can do yeah in this arena so I think that's the point I wanted to plug about women's equality party so yeah what about everybody else and back to your questions sorry i just kind of tried that point no worries so essentially what we're just looking at is what we feel our parties have done in order to prevent the overshadowing of the voices of women in politics so jules um so the lib dems right i love my party but you know we have not been great (laughs) (laughs) if anyone didn't hear that that was julia being Mimicked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my party's not perfect. It's just like families that aren't perfect, right. but ultimately, they are the people that you love. I know mm. this is really stopping really sad. Yeah, the but <laughs> we have issues with being white, male, and middle class. Um, you know, we don't just have issues with the lack of enough women. We right. also have the issue of diversity. This is because we have this problem for decades we've been fighting against sort of deliberate measures Mm. Um, so things like all women's um, shortlist uh, we fundamentally feel a lot of people feel that that's illiberal that you should be able to get that on merit Um, and to be fair I kind of once believed that Mm -hmm. and not just with like all women's shortlist but with all any forms of positive discrimination right uh, because I just feel that I want to be selected based on my merit Mm. not because I am black Mm -hmm. but I've since realized that we're not even close to that position where I'll be getting something because of because it's on merit right Um, I will probably not get it because of even despite merit, I will probably not get it because of what I look like. So in the meantime, oh, we do need all the positive measures. Mm. So like, 
after the 2015 election, after we were pounded, as you know, we ended up with eight white men. <laughs> and then that's when, like, at that time, Tim Farrow was like, this is enough. Mm-hmm. We really have no excuse <laughs> anymore. Um, so after debating and going on, uh, we finally implemented all women shortlist. Let me just give you a quick fact. Even before 2015, when we had 57 MPs, only seven were women, mm. <laughs> which is, and none were from black or minority ethnic um, background, which is for a party who's, that says equality is this preamble. That's not good enough. So since 2015, uh, there's been like a number of initiatives that we've sort of agreed. Um, we've basically what we said was that we will replace all the eight um, sitting MPs with someone from an all women shortlist. Right. Um, in our top ten um, constituencies, we will have to have two shortlisted candidates um, from underrepresented groups across sort of every list. Um, and I think that made us the first party to reserve spaces for like, you know, spaces of winnable seats for underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm. I don't think any party has or is doing that. I mean, all of those initiatives, you started to see rewards. Like, for example, um, in the 2017 elections, um, we had the most number of female candidates standing. In Harringate alone, the two candidates for the two constituencies were women. In fact, all the candidates across the parties were women, bar one, actually, was the Green. (laughs) That wasn't the woman. (laughs) But most of the main parties... Oh, interesting. They were all women. So that was positive. Um, And then the results, what we got back was a third of our parliamentary parties now female. We have elected Britain's first... Um, MP from like Palestinian descent. Um, our female, our deputy leader is Isn't a woman. Is that like your only one? It is our only one, but for a party of us, <laughs> but for a party of our size, we've we've come a long way yeah, from where we have been. But it's still not great. But we have um, a lot more to do, mm. especially when it comes to racial diversity. Um, finally, the conversation has now shifted to how we improve the racial diversity of our parties. Like, Vince K was the same at the last two conferences, he's been calling for an all-BAME shortlist. Mm. But this is illegal by law. Mm. So it's racist. <laughs> you know, we can have, like, all sort of women, all women shortlist, uh, all disability shortlist, mm. um, but we can't have all um, black and minority ethnic shortlist. So what we did, and what we have been doing, is we wrote to Damien Green, who was the the fact that deputy leader at the time mm. to change the loophole in the law. Mm. I'm not quite sure what's happened with that yet, but he's no longer yeah. in post. That's interesting. Um, so that's where we are. We also came um, produced a report at the end of last year as well, which uh, was based on an inquiry that went on for about a year, right. which was looking at the experiences of black minority ethnic can- uh, party members. Mm. And they reported last year and basically said there needs, essentially say there's an unconscious bias mm-hmm. and there needs to be a cultural shift um, in how the party, the internal yeah, workings, also, yeah. deals with um, black and ethnic, ethnic minority people. And we've since now had a new organisation set, set up. So we currently have like a campaign for gender balance 
Um, and what that does is basically just put forward like initiatives. So we have like Future MP Weekend mm-hmm. program that literally helps women. Right. And we're now creating the same for sort of ethnic diversity. So, most of the green elected officials are women. Awesome. So, two out of three MEPs are women. Mm-hmm. The MP is a woman. The Baroness in the House of Lords is a woman. The two assembly members are women. Um, and so, yeah, and the, the co-leader is a woman as well. So, I think within the party, there is a strong um, sense of needing to carve a space for women. Um, and we'd love to clearly vote women in and to put them in as leaders. And I think that's really amazing and it's very encouraging for me to see because since I've even worked at the GLA, I've worked with two different female um, politicians and, sorry, three now. Um, and being as a young black woman wanting to get into politics is so great to be able to work so closely with women mm. just to see how they work and operate, etc. Um and just to learn from them in their style. It's not to say that you can't learn from men, and it's not to say you can't learn from people of different races. Of course you can. But there is something uniquely different, and I know that I take a lot from that experience. Because mm. even when I first started there, um, I was very had this imposter syndrome. I felt like, I am in this organisation, working for these politicians. I should not be here. Like, mm. nobody knows that... I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, and it did feel like I was very much just working it out as I went along day by day. Mm. And often the politician I used to work with, she used to say, no, see, he's like, don't stand in the corner of the room, like hidden behind the door, sit, sit next to me. Like, that's your space, like sit here sort of thing, because I want you to feel like you should be at the table. Mm. And also having women in leadership roles who have felt like that as well, maybe had that imposter syndrome or feeling like they're not adequate or being spoken over, um, her being able to guide me and say, no, if someone is speaking over you, make sure you shut them down awesome. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and often she would also bring me to meet many of the senior officials that I didn't necessarily had to meet at that time. Mm-hmm. But she would introduce me. She would be like, yeah, this is Aziz Minot. She's very fierce. And I was like, why does she keep describing me as fierce? Like, I've done nothing to show any type of fierce attitude. Yeah. And I think she was just trying to G me up to make me believe and know that I can be the person to support politicians and also be that person to talk to anyone. Like, who cares if you're a commissioner? Do you know what I mean? I've got my views and this is what I'm going to say and I can speak to you face to face and I don't have to feel scared. Mm. So I've loved the fact that a lot of our leaders in the Green Party have been women. And not only that, within the party, there is a strong sort of, um, I would want to call them liberation groups. And so there's the young green women that they have their own group. So that's all women under the age of um, 30 who want to be about part of that group, can, can talk and discuss and really try to push policy within the party and outside. Right. Whatever their sort of interests are, they can focus on campaigning there. And there's also the Green Party women group who's, that could be women under the age of 30 and everybody else over, over the age as well. Really just coming together to talk about different things that they face Um, as challenges, as I say, within the party and outside the party and trying to push the party in a direction that benefits this particular group as well. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I know in terms of diversity, we're not there. We also have a liberation group on that, which is Greens of Colour, and there it's quite homogenous, very flat, so there's lots of 
different, um, both men and women all speaking at the same time and no one has any higher status but we're all working together to try and talk about you know, how can we push the agenda of this particular group as well? Mm -hmm. And I think naturally within that space, we are allowing other women to elevate up as well. There's a woman called Councillor Cleo, and she's in Bristol. And she, since we've started this group, she has been so inspirational to see how from Bristol, she's been able to highlight the issue about the Windrush, set up the petition and push it and push it and push it to the point that we're discussing it, Labour MPs are discussing it, it's being debated and people are being known for being deported and that was something that she done. So the fact that I'm even in a group with her is like absolutely phenomenal and amazing and just, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be amongst really amazing people just trying to be true to themselves and what their issues are. Awesome. Now, in terms of um, the Labour Party, I think I'm going to approach it from first a society kind of point of view so what they've actually done for women in society and I think um, highlighting that they introduced um, legislation that brought about protections for women and mothers under the Equal Pay Act and the Sex Discrimination Act and also the Equality Act also and I also um, think it's important for us to mention as well that um, they introduced paternity leave in 2003 and we know that yes of course that's not about women per se but that does definitely affect women in terms of being a woman in the family that also wants to work and not have to decide between her career and her family life. Mm. Um, another thing as well that I think is really important to mention as well is that, you know, flagship policies such as, you know, Sure Start and tax credits made a significant difference to the lives of women and particularly like single women as well. Mm. And we are the like party that has more, you know, women MPs and all the other parties put together. And it is the only party to promote the use of all women's shortlists to ensure better gender representation in Parliament. But I did also come across an article in The Independent um, where Harriet Harman's suggestion of having um, the next Labour leadership election being an only woman contest um, bring about like an awareness of how much more we do need to do. Like even though we do have more Labour MPs and all parties put together, there is definitely more that we need to do in terms of, okay, reflecting who we say we are in terms of being a party for all. It isn't really being reflected in our leadership and our structure as a party. Although we have incorporated some of these amazing policies and things into society, in our party practically at the moment, I don't think we are where we should be, especially in terms of what we represent, in terms of diversity and equality and how we regard everyone with the same level of importance. Is that because you also, you've not had a female leader? Is that why you're referring to that? Yeah. And do you think a female only shortlist would be able to achieve that? I think it will definitely achieve it and probably... Well, yeah, it will, because it'll be all yeah. female. It will, but it's to the point of like... Yeah, sorry, yeah, you're right, it <laughs> so will, because it it'll will. be all female, but it's like... Why can't you go right the conservative route, which they've, you've not had to do that, have you? Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, this is sometimes what I feel about the Labour Party. I mm. feel like they're a party who claim, who claim to be all about equality and yet you're not able to yeah, elect that's, a that's what I And you've had well, fantastic, yeah. it's not that you don't have them, yeah, but you've yeah. had amazing people. You've yeah. had people like Liz Kendall, Yvette Cooper, mm. you've had Harriet Harman, for God's yeah. sake. You've and had so the, many. The late Tessa Jar. Yeah, you've had those amazing women, you mm. know, Jackie Smith mm. of the Blair era, and it just hasn't happened. And, and I think... you even have Diane Abbott, say what you will, 
Like that woman yeah. has been there. She is. She basically has the same like rap sheet as Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Just that she's even had more experience at the front bench. Yeah. But yet the party has never elected her. And I think that's as why leader. the fact that Harriet Harman had to even make that suggestion it kind of emphasizes more as to why it is an issue for the Labour yeah. Party. And sorry, not even just women. I think even like you know how many times has David Lammy stood to even be considered mm. to stand for the label for the um the london mayor to be the labor candidate for that yeah. and how people just disregard yeah, him just I just, yeah so that's we just do definitely do need to do more in that aspect though definitely i'd say we do i guess the conservatives we can we have a lot more to talk about mm. in terms of what we've done um i mean we elected the first female mp who took her seat Actually, they were the first one was a Sinn Féin MP, but as mm. Sinn Féin don't usually take their seat in Parliament. Right. We will explain this um, on our Twitter page and what that means. Um, so the first conser- so the first female MP was actually a Conservative MP who was elected in December 1919, Nancy Astor. And 60 years later, <laughs> we elected um, the first female Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. <laughs> and dramatic pause. And in twenty sixteen we um also chose our second female prime minister. Um and I just think it goes to show that sometimes you don't need all female shortlists. Um you don't need you don't need positive discrimination when you have amazing women. And I think that that's something mm. that the Conservative Party that I think because of the way our our ideology is that we look at things based on merit right. sometimes we don't look at we disregard the fact that you're a woman mm-hmm. we think you know Theresa may has been there for she's had years and years of experience in the front bench she's been home secretary for she's the long, longest, longest serving, serving home, ever secretary. home secretary yep. and you know she has that background so why wouldn't we elect her she at that point she had more credit she was more credible than all the other men who stood um, mm. and so we elected her because of that. Um, although we do admit that we do have a problem. So I think that only about 20% of all Conservative MPs are women. So I think we have around 67 um, MPs in the Conservative Party are women, which the party does recognise. We've done a lot better than we were than we did in, um, I think, 2005, where we had only 17, which was quite embarrassing. So from 17 in around just over 10 years to 67, it's been amazing. Um, So there are a number of, well, I suppose, schemes or organisations within the party. So after the 2005 election, um, Theresa May and Baroness Jenkins, I think, set up this group called Women to Win. And so it's for conservative women to join. It mentors them it gives them training in terms of public speaking oh, wow, um good. and it's actually worked really well so we haven't needed to have all female shortlist because we've seen we've identified talent where we've seen it and then we've tried to nurture it and help them so if you have a if perhaps you're not as strong on public speaking those trainings will be there available for you and for women any women at all levels so not just mps councillors um you know scottish parliament the welsh assembly whatever so it's women at all levels of government um and there's also the conservative women's organization as well sometimes i go to the events they're quite nice um you get a nice 
well, sometimes you get female MPs, you also get male MPs, um, and that also provides training. And, yeah. um, so what sounds very good. Mm. <laughs> it does, yeah, isn't it? So we, we don't, we don't like it's, it's the. I think the party is. We feel that yes, we've achieved these things. We've had, I mean, two female prime ministers, um, and they have been strong. So they, they haven't just been prime ministers. They've been monumental prime ministers. I mean, Margaret Thatcher. Say what you will about her. She's not someone that you can easily forget um, because some of her policies still linger. And a lot of the conservatives, young conservatives now, got into the party because they love Margaret Thatcher. Usually, if you ask them, who's your political hero? It's, oh, Margaret Thatcher, I love her. <laughs> um, and Theresa May as well, say what you will about her. She's a very strong woman um, and she's made her mark in history. Um, so, yeah, so we're not a party that likes to go on so much about um, all female shortlist, but we do recognise that we can do better in terms of our party reflecting um, society. And when it comes to ethnic minorities as well, we don't believe, again, because it doesn't go with our ideology, um, mm. but we, we, when we see talent, we try to take it. So, for example, Kevin Badenoch, I mean, she, against all odds, people thought that she would never be elected, but she was elected in a very, 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 very safe Tory seat one of the safest seats in the whole country. Um, so why did people think she wasn't going to be elected if she went No, 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 but I mean, I mean, when she... Um, so the, <laughs> the way, the process, the process is, the process is actually the part, the local associations choose you. So people thought, oh, a black woman, obviously this local association is never going to choose her because mm. she doesn't look anything like the people in the community. But actually, they just really liked her and they chose her because they thought that she was great. Um, and she didn't need it all, you know, BME shortlist. Mm. Um... But, of course, like, as I said, the party does recognise it. So Kemi is um, vice chair of the party um, and she's in charge of the candidates. So she's her job is to see talent and try to encourage people to come into the party, no matter um, your background, no matter your race, no matter your experience, because that's something that people tend to think that they need vast experience in. Yeah. You don't need experience in politics. Just come with your passion. That's yeah, what we need. Literally. Your bag and a passion. That's it. <laughs> everything yeah. else you learn. Trust yeah, me, a lot of MPs true. do not know anything about their brief until they, or ministers, until they become ministers and yeah. they're helped. So actually a lot of people are faking it till they make it. Mm. Um, so, and just they just have the passion to, to make you believe. The process works is that you... Um, you apply, and then there, I think there's like five different assessments, probably speaking, different things. Mm. And then you get on the list, yeah. and there are two lists. There's a short list, there's the A list, and there's a B list. I think there's a, a C list. <laughs> <laughs> the reserves. It's a C list as well. And obviously, it's based on your commitment to the party. So if you if you already have a profile, you'd probably be an A list. So that's um, what it's based on? Non- a number of things. Oh, so okay. if you go out campaigning a lot, if you don't, sometimes if you don't go out campaigning as much, you can be like demoted to the C list. Um, so, oh, there's a C list. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, God. Um, so and then and then when a seat when a seat is open, then you apply. So if there's a seat in whatever you think, oh my God, I want to do that, mm-hmm. then you apply to that local association. So and even if you don't live there. Yeah. yeah even if you don't live there. Um, well. So as long as you're in the A list. You can go there and say, hey, I really like this constituency, actually. It works great for me. Mm. Um, would you like to choose me? And look, it's up to the local association. So that's one of the reasons why the party doesn't even want to have shortlist because they feel that it will um, cause resentment with the local... Because that's the mm. one area where local associations 
associations feel that they have power and if the party comes down on them saying you have to choose these people mm. they might feel some type of way and naturally sometimes they do have all female shortlists mm. because it's just yeah. natural all the women choose to apply for that seat but enforced shortlist is not something that we think work would work mm. and well we haven't had it and it's been working so far so mm. I, uh, find it very I guess I could glow I find it interesting <laughs> though like that you use the word enforced to describe the all-female shortlist because like when we look at industry across the board it is male dominated and technically speaking we can also describe that as being enforced on us as women in society because it is just it just is what it is regardless of where you go so i think maybe we need to kind of like take another look at that and kind of look at how how we're describing how we're describing it because of the reasoning behind why we've actually suggested okay maybe we should have a all female i think i think that if your party members are pragmatic people who want a modern society then they can they can decide uh, if you're in charge you can decide i want a woman i don't understand why the 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 party itself has to tell the local association i mean if i'm a local association if I'm on the board right now and I see loads of people and I see a black woman and I see, I'm going to think, do you know what? Wouldn't it be refreshing to have a black, like I have that, if you're pragmatic, if if your members want a modern party, then they should think that way. But modern isn't always woman. Modern modern isn't always woman for and unfortunately, that's not the reality of the world. Yeah, I know, but I'm just, but I'm, sounds lovely, but no. I think what's interesting as well is, it's just, I think if we just take it back to our own personal experience, and yeah. I guess the reason why what I'm hearing um, you say, Tosin, is, is it's interesting to me and it's very different as well is because I came into the party because I was encouraged. I may not have even been in politics had that not have been the case. Right. You've taken a very different approach where it was like, it was a decision that you wanted to make and you've moved forward and that's why it's worked out for you. But I guess in in... My in my view, in terms of not necessarily all women shortlist, because some even within the Green Party we have, um, which is under review at the moment, but we have lists where we say the top two should be a man and a woman. There should be a woman in the top in one of the top two positions, mm. and in the top three there should be a cu- person of color as well. Right. So oh, that wow. just so so there's a level of sometimes positive discrimination in that way because we think okay, you know if it's if it's so many men at the top one of the women at the bottom should come to the top. That's just how it is, mm. right? And that doesn't happen in every single instance. That happened on in terms of the London Assembly, etc. But that's, as I say, it's under review. But why I find it interesting is because there's a lot of women who wouldn't otherwise be engaged in politics had it not be for someone just having a concerted effort to say, you know what, we are going to have an all-women shortlist or we are going to try to specifically speak about women in politics as a new thing or a thing that we can encourage people to do. And therefore it makes certain other people, you know, stop and prick up their... Ep- yeah. Either think for themselves yeah. or suggest other people to come. And an example of this is like really simple in the Green Party, but essentially when there's someone chairing, they will wait until there is sometimes they say if there's too many men with their hands up basically they'll say i'm waiting for a person who self-identifies as a woman to put a hand up to speak next because i'm doing male woman male woman male woman like Mm. that um 
And so it's really. Is it not just patronising though? Like as a if no, you're, sometimes if you're a as a woman, woman you don't want to put but, your hand up. But why? You, but why? Why do you sit to think as a woman I don't want to put my hand up? If you have a question, you say it. If I if I leave a room and I feel like I don't have a question, I don't go about moping around thinking, oh my god, I didn't have a question. But that's the thing. I mean, that, that's that's not the general. But I don't know. Maybe again, maybe you know what I mean? because like, we all have to remember that <laughs> apart from the fact that we were black, we also have different police ideologies, yeah. and suppose maybe that's what's coming through. Because I just don't think that. I just find it so patronising. If someone were to say that to me, I would not put my hand up just for the mere fact that yeah. you're just listening to me because you think I'm a woman. There is what some... if I don't have an intelligent question? What but, if there's I do? Some, but there's some men that I just listen to because they're men. Mm. Yeah, but if they like, put their hand up. <laughs> they're not, no one is going there to you. She just... But sometimes they don't have to put their hand up to even be regarded of like some level of importance and be like held of some level of, okay, I want to listen to what you have to say because they're men. Yeah. But I think it, like, the, the main reason that this has had to be this way is because the foundation of society is not as simple for women as it is for men. Yeah, and it moves beyond just politics because even if we look at um, single-sex schools, they say a lot of women are very strong in single-sex schools because when they're in gen- um, mixed-gendered schools, they can be. Um, you see that more men or more boys are talking above the girls, mm. and they just take a more subdued role. And that happens in in just it's just gender-based society. Like that's yeah. just how it is. And a lot of people just don't feel confident to speak up. And that's why I had to even describe to you that you know I used to stand in the corner of the room and not feel like I had a seat at the table. Like there's not many men that can say they have imposter syndrome in the same instances or as frequently as women and then as women of colour because we're just not in those spaces as often and that's why when we do enter those spaces we feel quite maybe insecure about our positioning. That's not Mm. to say that we should feel insecure. That is just because we've been made to feel that type of way. Mm. And so that's why, I guess, ideas of positive discrimination have come about because they want to encourage, not to try and be patronising, but just to encourage, like, and say... You can do it too. And unless you have more people, as we say, of like diverse nature and backgrounds to come back and be like, yeah, you can do it, then other people won't get involved. Mm. No, I, do you know what? I'm not disagreeing with you, Tosin. Um, but I think what I'm saying is, or trying to... I wish we live in a world where people... I think we're going back to merit and so meritocracy which yeah. I really hate because I think it's a word that is being used by the elites who have never been discriminated against and therefore really believe that they got where they are because of merit um, in but reality, so you, do you think you didn't get where you are because of merit? No, no I did get to where I am because of merit but I also know I should be more than where I am because I deserve that mm. and I know that my what I look like has probably meant that I'm not where I should be and that is my experience of my, in politics. Mm. Um, like I said, went back to earlier on, um, it, it was nice and good when I wanted to take when you needed me to take the photos. But when I wanted to come with the real ideas, I came up with the barriers. Mm. Um, and this is the, this is what I mean. In mm. an ideal world, it would be great, but unfortunately, we do not yet live in that world. Yeah. Mm. And until we get there, these are the measures that we should put in place to level the playing field a bit. Or maybe not even... We don't necessarily just have to have the measures, but just have the discussion. Yeah. Often enough to spot the idea that there is a problem Mm -hmm. and let's encourage more people who otherwise wouldn't be involved to come onto this process. 
definitely now just before we go further again if you want to get involved in the conversation and also share your thoughts and views and what you think about what we have to say you can contact us at the underscore consensus underscore and hashtag consensus podcast now ladies we've been talking about how it is now right and i really want us to take a look at what the word suffragettes means for us now as black women so Jules, what what does suffragettes mean for you or to you? I respect what it has done in right. terms of how it... And I, I admire the dogged views and the way they fought for the rights of women. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I cannot relate to it. Why I don't that? think that it speaks to me right. as a black woman. Okay. Um... I'm sure we're going to go into all of the reasons. Uh, in the fight for that, for the vote, for the women's vote, um, did not really consider women of colour then. Mm. Um, and I think it's not that different from the way modern-day feminism is. Right. And the whole discussion about including everyone mm. in that conversation. Yeah. Um, for me, this is how I... F- this is how I feel yeah. about the suffragettes. What about you, Aziz? I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. And I'm going to be brutally honest. Mm. I didn't know too much about the suffragettes until very recently. Because I don't remember learning about this in school. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so that in one instance could be one reason why I don't feel connected to the movement as much as other people but equally I do respect the fact that you know they've paved the way for a particular type of journey Mm. yes it may not have been for women of colour but essentially you have to show gratitude and platitude where it's due because Mm. essentially like if if the whole of society is against you whether whether you're a man or a woman or you're black or you're you're um disabled or able whatever whatever you describe yourself as if if society is against you and you are fighting through that oppression and you achieve something, we have to accept that you're successful in that regard. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that in itself deserves a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I would say, yeah, it is important for us to note that it wasn't just for black women and it wasn't for all women. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was only for women over the age of 30 who Mm -hmm. had XXX criteria. Exactly. Um, And it was actually only till 10 years later... Um, where it was included, it included people over the age of twenty-one. Now, I, I, I would hope that in ten years' time, that we would celebrate that success as well, because it does include more women than this year did. Mm. But that's not to say that they should be an either or. Mm. You know, a lot of I know I've seen a lot of discussion on Twitter where people are like, "Yeah, but it doesn't include everyone, so why are we even celebrating it?" It really doesn't have to be a choice. Why don't we just celebrate again another ten years? Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? And let's just have a good jolly up again and just highlight the fact that history was made then instead of comparing it to to now. Um, so yeah, and, and let's celebrate when people from the Windrush community was able to have a vote and their voice yeah. be heard as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, when that time comes every 50 years or every 100 years. So let's just celebrate it all, is my view. Um, for me personally, I don't... Um really feel there is much celebration in it for me as a black woman because I can't help but envision 
myself during the time of the suffragettes and how they would have received me as a black woman wanting mm-hmm. to also have the right to vote mm. it wouldn't have been a celebratory a, a happy or joyful moment for me i probably would have been turned away and told that you know yes you're a woman but your vote doesn't matter because of the type of woman i am um so um definitely i can respect you know the amount of effort that was put into acquiring the right to vote mm. and what people even went through to get there but for me as a black woman personally the suffragettes wouldn't have done anything for me then and i don't really feel they've done much for me now to be honest Tossing. um as a conservative woman i thought you know i do respect what they did mm. because they set the um they opened the door for someone like Nancy Esther to come into Parliament. As a black woman, as all of you have said, they wouldn't have reckoned with us. I mean, they, that's the there's that infamous quote: "I'd rather be a rebel than a slave." Yeah. Um, comparing <laughs> slavery <laughs> to um, some posh older women who have nothing better to do. Than <laughs> just, but it's true. I mean, they're saying people with property. <laughs> That would yeah. not. Have, that would not have even. Honestly, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? But it's true. Like they would never. I, what we would probably be like helping them out with their kids, their nannies. So why would they ever? They would never. They never saw us as equals at any point. Yep. So why would they ever even? I mean, I think because they we're lucky in the sense that they didn't actually put race like the Americans did because yeah. the British are more um, mm-hmm. covert in their, yeah. in their, in their operations <laughs> but we ain't going to there <laughs> 10 years after the initial act um, when they sort of when the act was um, I suppose expanded to cover other women who were under the age of 21 and um, there was no, like, property attached to it. I think then we were allowed to vote. But trust me, I didn't think they did it for us. I'm just being honest Mm. right now. They didn't do it for us. Because it took how many years until we had our first black MP? Mm. eighty-six, five. Diane Abbott? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how long it took. So obviously it wasn't for us. Um, But do you know what? I don't knock what what they've done because we... You all, we all have to start from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and they did make that. They did take that sacrifice, albeit for their selfish gains. But that, not understanding, they did what they had to do. Mm. Um, and I think that you know that opened the door for the next for the next act. And then you know what saw people like Diana come into Parliament. Mm. So yes, whilst we wouldn't have been regarded, we wouldn't have been included as many things in the country that mm. we've not been included in like for example in america you wouldn't have been able to drink water from the same fountain but mm-hmm. that you know that's what it was then and yes so some of the things they did were great but i've read in the past that a lot of them actually held very racist views yeah. um, which is unsurprising mm. due to the era exactly but what i'm trying to say is they didn't like me but we're going to go. <laughs> and it was 87. 87, Diana. Yeah. Collected. So, like I said earlier on, ladies, um, at the beginning of the podcast session, I mentioned that this year, like, marked the 100th anniversary of some women um, being able to vote. And I wanted to kind of question um, how you feel about how your voice, as it stands alone in your identity, your, your opinions, and your beliefs, 
are held with regard and importance in society in comparison with your practical vote. So the vote we're told that we should, you know, exercise as we now have the right to do mm. so. Do you feel they're both held with the same level of acceptance and importance today, Tosin? I think it is. Um, I think that we now have a lot more black women who are part of the policy making process, which then means that our voices are heard, whether they like it or not. So um, I think, again, I don't want to be so, I don't want to be too party political, but I think the Labour Party does fall into this trap where they want ethnic minorities, they want their votes, but actually, does it really translate in, in, in the makeup of the party structure? Mm. Um, I suppose for the, sa- the same with Conservatives, while we do want, we do want ethnic minorities, and when we do get them, actually, we put them in quite, you know, high-profile positions. Maybe that's because they stand out because they're the only black people. But... Token. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag token. Oh, <laughs> it's not, it's not. I mean, I mean if, we think, if we think about, you know, Sean Bailey, if we think about, although he's never been elected, that's another mm. one. But um, as an MP, if we think about, you know, Pretty Patel, if we think about Kemi, Babe Knock, they have been... They are part of the party's policy-making process. Um, but again, I don't think that conservatives really... We don't really buy into the identity politics um, right. um, sort of way of thinking. So we won't necessarily make decisions based off of our race, but we'll make it based on what we think is best for society. Um, mm. So, yeah. I don't personally feel as though... Um our voices as they stand alone are held at the, the same level of importance in terms of casting a vote. I think um, your vote is more of, um, regarded of importance because of acquisition. Somebody needs to be um, placed in a position, so all of a sudden your vote is needed because we need some numbers. Mm-hmm. But in terms of your voice um, as it stands and your feelings as a black woman, I don't think your voice is really held at that amount of importance. And I think something like the Me Too movement um, emphasises that. Um, why is it that it's only when a certain demographic of women highlighted an issue, we now stare towards, oh, okay, th- so this is an issue, but mm-hmm. this is something that we've been talking about for yes. years. But because the voices aren't coming from white, you know, working-class women, they weren't regarded with importance. But when it's time to vote, oh, please, we need your vote. Mm. I don't think they have the same level of importance, to be honest. Yeah. I think... Generally, if our vo- if our votes were valued, then they will be proportional, mm. and they're not. Mm. So, the fact that we have a first past the post system that means that the majority of everyone's views are not heard is just abysmal. And I think that's an that's an example in itself. So, of course, when you take society into account, and if society yeah. is being treated like that, then smaller groups. Um, such as people from people like people of color, etc. They their voices are going to be even more marginalized than everybody else's. Do you right. know what I mean? Um, I take your point in a way about that th- your premise around um, black people, black women, maybe have been speaking about an issue, but it doesn't come to the fore as as do other campaigns. However, I would say that there is, and I'm sure we would all know mm-hmm. that there is something in being a collective and moving with one collective voice and working within the parameters of the system that you live in. I say that because in politics, for example, if we want to make change, 
we want to make change, therefore we work in politics. Right. Yeah. And if you watch um, pressure groups and lobbying groups, they want to make change for their client, so therefore they are in politics in a particular type of way, trying to drive the narrative. They know who to speak to, at what times, what buttons to press, what letters to write, and the different types of structures that there are, whether it be in speeches, motions, um, petitions, all these different types of things. So as a result of that, I think we as a collective could collect our voice basically Mm -hmm. and move in one movement to try to influence change in society in a a different type of way. Um, It's not to say that we haven't tried, um, but I think we can do more to try to infiltrate the system that in which we live in, in order to change and break down the system that oppresses us, if that makes sense. So mm. I agree with what you're saying, but in terms of the question, mm. do you actually feel as though your vote practically is held with the same amount of importance as your voice? As you saying, hold on here, these are the issues I have mm. in the workplace, this is what I've experienced, these are the issues. Do you feel as though society holds both of those things with the same level of regard and importance. No, I mean, and in the first instance, I think that the vote is low and it's not valued. Mm-hmm. And in the second instance, I think sometimes our voice isn't valued because we don't move in a collective. Right. So, I both is both is none. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And we could do more as as individuals who self-identify as Black women could do more to drive their narrative and so could the system in terms of the sort of voting system but also let's take it away from voting voting is not the only way that you influence politics mm-hmm. and that was kind of my point before it's like right. you need to know how to play the system mm-hmm. it's a game literally it's a game but it's people's lives That's sad, but it's, yeah. yeah but people regard it as a game so yeah. you need to know how to play it if you want your voice to be heard and valued in the right chambers and sometimes that means you know, you have to bring men alongside. Mm-hmm. In feminist arguments, sometimes you need to get men on side to understand the issue so that in the environments that they work and, and associate themselves with, they can understand the issues and take it forward and, right. and say, okay, cool, well, now I'm in power, I want to bring in this woman, that woman, this one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can start changing mindsets, but essentially you can't do it alone. You have to work as a collective. Jules? Um, I, okay, I agree with you. Um... And I think the reason why our voice is not valid is because it doesn't translate in the votes. Mm. Um, so the way issues and long-term policies and decisions that affect pensioners right. is a long-term thing, as opposed to a quick, short-termism, we need these votes, mm-hmm. let's give something superficial for it to show you that we care about wow. the interest. Yeah. Um, the way pension, because they, they turn up to vote, mm-hmm. is the same with young people and it's the same with black people it doesn't translate really in the votes the more we are and i think the reason that doesn't translate in the votes is because we don't feel that we are represented Mm -hmm. so we do not engage with it we do not see anyone that looks like us in that system so the more we see people that look like us in that system the more we'll be more interested the more that we'll, we'll be able to vote the more there's someone in the background devising those long-term policies that genuinely looks at the issues that affect people like us. This is not currently happening. Mm. Like, we need to get away from a system where, for example, Labour is able to win an election without even knocking on a single door because they're in in an area where they know. So that's the opposite of that. They're in an area where they know that the black people will always vote for them anyway, Mm -hmm. but they've never done anything to 
deserve that vote to say why she would vote for you it's just the way the conservative will probably not put together policies that Mm -hmm. are specifically with us in mind because they know that those group of people aren't going to vote for them right um so how do we make sure that we turn out i'm sorry but 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 just on your point though so jeremy corbyn in his last election drove we tried to like make it very youth led and try to bring out policies that were for young people mm-hmm. and arguably now the stats are saying that it wasn't a what they call it a youth quake mm-hmm. well, it, wasn't a youth it wasn't yeah. a youth quake yeah. and then even in terms of the greens like we already know there's only one mp but yet we have a, a manifesto about um bme people we have a manifesto about um, gender equality we have these things in place despite having not having enough votes in order to push it do you get what I mean right. so sometimes is it about votes or is it about the interest of the people who are in those parties themselves mm. because as you say if, if you're a complacent Labour member and you think well I don't have to vote because I know all black people vote for us so mm. I'm as a black person I'm not even going to knock on their door because I know she's going to vote for me anyway mm. yeah. do you know what I mean so it might not necessarily be due to like down to the general election time mm-hmm. and voting. But, it could but I think even... you've just proved that it is about the votes because people like the Green, people like the Lib Dems have all these policies mm. that are for people that are genuinely interested, mm-hmm. but they don't get the votes. But at the same time, the people that are in power, mm. that are making the decisions, know where those votes are coming from. Right. And therefore they will make the real change because if you're in government or if you're in opposition, you can effect change. We count too. We mm. get some gains and we get some win. Mm. But our flagship policies are things, or all the things that you've just mentioned, yeah. are not things that come to fruition really, where you get to see the practical impact on different sectors of society. Mm. So, yes, you're right. But at the same time, I think you've also proved why it is about the vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if the, if the Tories know, for example, um, you could come in here if you come wrong, Sorry. that they're going to yeah. get more black votes, you know, if they're in government knowing this is where their votes came from, do you not think they'll really sit down and say, look, what are the issues? How do we really do this properly mm. in the long term mm. rather than let's patch something together quick, 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 <laughs> like the civil violence strategy as one example, you know, to show that we're looking into this. Mm. Like, how do we avoid issues like Grenfell that affected the kind of people whose voice are not usually heard? Yeah. That's true. So, I don't know. That's my analysis. It's not fully complete, but <laughs> that's my thoughts on that. And I can't help but think about the level of impact that that's had on our right to vote mm-hmm. as women. Like it, de- it definitely puts a, it definitely puts a heavy stamp on the realization that hold on here, okay, we do have the right to vote practically, but what the, what does that actually mean in terms of how that's reflected mm-hmm. within society and the impact that our vote actually has when all these different dynamics mm-hmm. come into play? Also, it's not easy, y'all. It's not it's easy. Not. So um, I've got a quote here, um, and it says, "We have won the argument for change." But the battle still is to make that a reality. And it's an extract taken from an independent article written by Harriet Harman. And essentially what she's doing in that article is questioning the extent to which women have moved on since having the right to vote. So do you guys agree with that statement? I think it sums up what what we've been saying. We've come far, Mm -hmm. but we've got a lot more to do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Same here.
definitely now on that note guys we're going to have to love you and leave you we had a lot of fun discussing this with you and if again if you'd like to take part in the discussion please do contact us at the underscore consensus underscore and the hashtag consensus podcast and we can't wait to hear from you guys soon bye, bye.